0: You are listening to a message from the Living Word Community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Well, good morning, and good morning to those who are coming back from vacation only ones I know of specifically is the Freer family, but I'm sure there are others that probably have just returned as well. <clears throat> Vacations are great to get away. Oftentimes we come back tired from all the fun we've had. but <laughs> um, <clears throat> And also I, I appreciate what Ted has done this morning, I'm sure being led by the Spirit. Um, if you're a little tired this morning and my monotone starts to put you to sleep, just quick turn your head over and look at Ted's uh, amazing shirt this morning, and it will wake you up. Okay, so Ted, Ted knew who was preaching this morning, and you know he, he wanted to help you by wearing an invigorating shirt this morning. Thank you, Ted. Okay, let's uh, lift up our teaching time to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your word that you have delivered to us and put in our hands. Thank you that we live in a country that we can carry a Bible anytime, anywhere, uh, unlike many closed countries in in this world where people would go straight to jail or even lose their life for carrying a Bible. So we, we thank you for that this morning. We ask that your Holy Spirit will illuminate your word to us. And Father, I ask that you would impress on my heart and mind to say just what you would want said this morning. So we thank you for what you are going to show us. Please draw our hearts even closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I have the... Amazing task this morning and undaunting task uh, of, as you know, as a congregation, just a few days ago we started reading the book of Isaiah. And as we know, Isaiah has 66 chapters, so that's you know, roughly a couple of months worth that we're going to be anchored and focusing on uh, God's word to and through Isaiah to us. So obviously there's a lot that could be said about the book of Isaiah. Um, So I will try to do my best to narrow that down this morning and just give us a few things to think about as we're reading for the next two months. And also give us a little background on Isaiah and the book of Isaiah. So first of all, what does Isaiah mean? The word Isaiah? That's right. Uh, The Lord saves. And the term salvation um, is used almost three times more in the book of Isaiah uh, than in all the other prophets combined. Okay, so he really focuses on our salvation. Um, So when Jesus exhorted his disciples, you know, he said, lift up your eyes on high, your salvation draws near. He is coming in the clouds with power and with great glory that we have a lot to look forward to. And Isaiah, uh, that's certainly a theme through the book of Isaiah as well to look to the the, um, coming salvation of the Lord. And uh, Isaiah lived, he, he told us specifically which kings he lived under. It's nice that he gave us more background than what some of the other Bible writers give us, um, we know from around the time of the death of uh, Uzziah or maybe a little bit before that, uh, and then as we know, Uzziah in general was a good king, um, had his flaws accentuated at the end of his life, but generally he, he exalted God uh, and did many good things for Israel, and then Jotham, his son, was a good king, and then Ahaz, Uh, did not lift up the Lord. And then, as we know, amazingly, his son Hezekiah turned everything around and did exalt God and promoted the worship of God tremendously during his reign. And then, as we know, amazingly, uh, his son Manasseh was the worst of the wicked kings coming from Hezekiah. Like, how could this happen? Um And we'll refer more to that uh, in a little bit. And as far as just taking a step back and looking at the uh, sort of global context at that time, um, Assyria were uh, kind of the bad guys that were, excuse me, growing and gaining more and more power and conquering nations at that time. So God makes specific reference of how he wanted Israel to get through that time with this emerging Assyria. And as we know, um, during Isaiah's time, um, Assyria did come in and conquer uh, the other roughly ten tribes of Israel. In 722, again, um, Assyria conquered them, and as, as we know, they were... The hammer in God's hand, hammer of judgment against wicked Israel that didn't even have one good king. At least Judah had a number of good kings mixed in with, uh, should we say, adulterous kings that didn't worship the Lord. Um, But Israel had none, so God brought his judgment against them sooner. Okay, now, uh, as most of us are aware, Isaiah kind of is broken into two parts, two main parts. Uh, chapters 1 through 39 and chapters then 40 through 66. And interestingly, this, as we know, this didn't occur when the Bible was actually scrolled. But uh, when verses and chapters and all were put in later to help us, um, helped us a, a lot and um, being able to keep track of all different parts of the Bible and everything. Um, the the first one through 39, uh, there are 39 books in the our Old Testament and then uh, 40 through 66, then that's the number of books in the New Testament. So it's just interesting how uh, and we hope that those that put the number the verse numbers and chapters and all in the Bible were uh, were being anointed of God when they did it, although it's not in quote necessarily the inspired scripture. Um, it is interesting how it just happened to fall that way. Uh, so for just a little bit we 'll talk about isaiah 's life we'll, and we'll kind of mix in there some interesting uh, tidbits and things to think about regarding the book of Isaiah, and then we'll uh, transition into looking at a few common themes that we can keep in mind over these next couple of months that, as we read them. Uh, our, our goal is for, uh, I, I don't believe it's an accident that the Spirit led the elders to move to Isaiah next, and that we would be reading the book of Isaiah during the turbulent times that we're living in, like right now, um, you know, we, we wouldn't have known that before. Uh, but this this book offers us a lot uh, with the things that we see going on in the world now between Afghanistan, increasing uh, COVID, uh, increasing murders in our city, and other things. Um, this book of Isaiah, God can really use it in our life as an anchor and to get us a build our foundation even stronger and deeper uh, to walk in victory during these very turbulent times. <clears throat> so Isaiah himself, uh, oh, and, and then after we talk about that, then we'll end up talking about the call of Isaiah and the famous passage in Isaiah chapter 6 where he saw the Lord. And uh, we'll refer back a little bit to some of what we just just finished reading in 1st and 2nd Corinthians um, and glean a few things there as well. Okay, so Isaiah uh, apparently was um, very well educated and in the upper class and he had access to all of the kings um, during each time period that he was serving and He's prophesying to all of Judah, but sometimes prophesying specifically to kings as well. Um, And one interesting thing is that those that study these things, uh, it is pointed out uh, that in the book of Isaiah, uh, he used at least 25 or maybe more Hebrew word patterns and like Hebrew words that were not even used in any of the other prophets. So, uh, it's kinda like he was standing against a pernicious prevaricator. In other words, he he used words that weren't so commonly used and a lot of people may not have even known what some of these words meant. Uh, So, pernicious is harmful, prevaricator is liar. He was standing against the devil, Um, but uh, so, so his vocabulary stood out uh, compared to all of the other prophets, and we'll make another mention of that in one moment. Now, as far as uh, scholars and interpretation and things about the Bible, uh, you know, we read the book of Isaiah, and we assume Isaiah wrote the whole thing, and... There are some references that we'll talk about that clearly point to that, but there are Bible scholars that say, well, the first half of Isaiah is much different than the second half, so it must have been, of, of course, thinking logically, it must have been two authors. It wasn't Isaiah that wrote them both. And as some of us would look at that, that's filled with doubt regarding the sovereignty of God. He said in verse 1, in chapter 1, that Isaiah, you know, receiving a vision of God. And if God clearly told him all that he wrote in the book of Isaiah, um, does God not have the prerogative to kind of have Isaiah write in one way for 39 chapters and then give him a different set of prophecies and write in a different way for the second portion of the book? You know, is, is God that limited that he can't do that? Well, obviously, God is God, and he says in his word, he does as he pleases. So um, the, the distinctive word forms, first of all, that we just talked about, the you know, upper-crust vocabulary or whatnot, um, he used that all the way through both halves of the book. He didn't change that. He didn't use them all, you know, like Isaiah just wrote the first half. They weren't just used in the first half. They were used, um, based, you know, all the way through the book of Isaiah. And, um, and, and actually, the, the scholar that I read about, or um, it was about 50-50. 12 times he used some of these highfalutin words in the first half and 14 times in the second half. So it was, you know, even throughout. Also, second, the Jewish Talmud uh, gives credit to Isaiah being the one author of the book of Isaiah. Third, in the New Testament, Isaiah is specifically mentioned and quoted uh, a number of times. So, in fact... Uh, Along with um, Psalms um, and Deuteronomy, it's among the three top quoted books from the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament. Um, So if we look at the Gospels, um, Matthew and Luke and John all Quoted Isaiah and mentioned him specifically and among their group of of quotations um, it was the, He quoted from both the, the first and the second portion so they give credit to uh, the second half of Isaiah being written by Isaiah and Who did John travel with and who did Matthew travel with that you might consider them an authority On the Old Testament as we know it, um, somebody called the Son of God Jesus Christ. So, and as we know, they not only traveled with Jesus for three years, then Jesus, after he was resurrected, came back and hung around for 40 more days and taught more. And he taught Peter and another disciple, as we know. Uh, on the way to Emmaus, and they said, wow, our heart's not burning within us when he opened the scriptures to us. Like, wow, that was amazing. Well, again, among the disciples, um, Isaiah is given credit for the whole book of Isaiah. Okay, now also uh, Isaiah, as we kind of pick up as we go through the entire book of Isaiah, he was married and he had two children. Okay, so that we'll mention that again in a moment. That um, you know, unlike some of the prophets who were single, like Jeremiah, um, we know it was single. Okay, now um, and also like Moses and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. We said uh, we'll look at the specific calling it gives some details on the specific calling of Isaiah uh, for his ministry and of course all of them their ministry was deliver my word to a disobedient people so all of them were prophesying against tremendous opposition and their lives were always at stake Because when people don't want to hear the true word of God, that generates very negative emotions, as we know. So these were all tremendous men of faith. Okay, now, I have a question for you. Hebrews 11, the the hall of fame, uh, when it comes to men and women of faith, since... God created the earth. Um, is Isaiah mentioned? You know, we go through, it starts with Abel, and it goes to Noah, and, and lists numerous great men and women of God from our Old Testament. Um, is Isaiah referred to there? Okay, we'll just do a quick, okay. So, no, he, he's, he's not referred to there. Any hands? Okay, a few hands. Yes, he's referred to in, in, in Hebrews 11. Raise your hand high if you're committing to that. Okay, so we have three brave people that say yes. Four. Okay, well, if you look through the names, um, sorry, folks, I don't see Isaiah listed there. Uh, but if you can flip with me just briefly to Hebrews chapter 11. And as we know, uh, Abel, Noah talks a lot about Abraham. A little bit, bit about Sarah. Mentions Abraham and I mean uh, Isaac and Jacob. Goes into great depth into uh, Moses. Mentions Jericho, obviously tied in uh, with Joshua. Uh, even mentions Rahab the harlot. Okay, great woman of faith, who again. Uh, became in the lineage of the coming of the Lord Jesus um, rewarded for her faith okay so let's start with verse 32 Um, so after going through those great men and women of God and what more shall I say the writer of Hebrews says for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets. Now, just a quick aside. How many of them, here they are mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith, how many of them were perfect? Any of them? No, they all had flaws. So if you feel, if you get up someday and you say, man, how could God ever use me? Look at my life, look at the sins in my life that I'm battling. God, there's no way you could use me. That's just a lie from the devil. They had flaws too, and their names are specifically listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith. So when we get to heaven, some of you might be surprised uh, of how high on the hill your mansion is. Um, We easily can put ourselves down. um, But remember, God is an encouraging God, and... As long as we're repentant and trying to overcome sins and we're trying our best to, to walk before him and, uh, and walk righteously before him, he will use us in great and mighty ways that will surprise even us. So none of them were perfect, but all of them were still used greatly by God. And, and referring to them, it says, "...who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness... Obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And, okay, so these were just great triumphs. Wow, what an exciting time to live in, to see all those mighty things done uh, during your own life then the tone changes a little bit um others were tortured not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection and others experienced mockings and scourgings yes also chains and imprisonment they were stoned they were sawn in two they were tempted They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. But God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So, Isaiah is actually listed in that list. Um, Jewish tradition um, basically reported that uh, he was sawn in two under the reign of Manasseh. So Manasseh was so wicked, he had the amazing, esteemed, honored prophet of God, Isaiah the prophet, sawn in two. Showing, the, obviously, the depth of the wickedness of Manasseh, but also just the tremendous courage uh, of Isaiah the prophet. So when we read Isaiah, we are reading the words... of just an amazing, highly esteemed by God, prophet of the living God. And we know he's obviously not the only one to go through that, but he was one of them. And, uh, okay, now as we're reading the, the words of this esteemed prophet, um, just a few points about the book of Isaiah compared to other books. Um, It has the most messianic prophecies. So we're all familiar with uh, Psalm 53. uh, I mean, not Psalm. Isaiah chapter 53, uh, Christ on the cross and resurrection and everything and taking our sin. Um, And that gives the clearest declaration of the gospel of any of the other prophets. Uh, So those who are savvy can use that in evangelism when speaking to to someone of, of Jewish faith. Uh, or Jewish culture, um, who, who might tune into that. Also, along with having the most messianic prophecies, the book of Isaiah also mentions the Holy Spirit the most number of times. Okay, so isn't that interesting? The Son is exalted, and the Holy Spirit is exalted. So, as we know, the Father, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit... Um, all sort of tied together in the book of Isaiah. Um, And then he refers back to events in Israel's history uh, a number of times throughout. So uh, he mentions or discusses the Exodus uh, four times. uh, Talked about destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Talked about Gideon's victory three different times. Um, So he, he does tie the, his writings from the Lord in with uh, Israel's past history as well. Okay, now I just want to talk about a few themes um, from the book of Isaiah that we can just keep in mind as we're reading. And hopefully uh, as we're meditating on what we're reading, not just opening the book, reading a chapter, closing the book, and running on to our next event, uh, but as we meditate on the word of God and, and um, Try to let it seep down into our heart and into our mind um, One of the themes that we've already read about and clearly spelled out in chapter 2 um, You can uh, if you can turn with me just for a moment to chapter Isaiah chapter 2 It's the theme of the pride and arrogance of man on one hand and humility. On the other hand, as we know, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the pride and arrogance comes pretty natural to us, uh, just because we are still in this flesh. But um, obviously, now that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, um, as God's guarantee, His down payment of, of uh, us living with Him in heaven forever. OK, we can we can overcome that natural pride and arrogance. let see where to start. OK, so if we uh, start in verse eight, we'll kind of start in, in the middle of, of uh, the, the whole chapter. It says their land has also been filled with idols. Now, he's talking about Israel. Unfortunately, he's not talking about Assyria or Egypt or Cush or whatever. He's talking about his own people here. Um, And they worship the work of their hands, that which their fingers have made. We sang this morning that God commanded, and it was created. He spoke this earth. He spoke his universe into existence. We get to worship a God that is so great and so amazing, so far beyond what we can even comprehend with our little pea brains. And here they are, worshiping the works of their human fingers. How demented is that? But that's how fickle the human heart is, unfortunately, which is, as we know, why Jesus had to come to take our sins on the cross so that man has been hum- so the common man has been humbled and the man of importance has been abased and do not but do not forgive them okay enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the lord and from the splendor of his majesty the proud look of man will be abased and the loftiness of man will be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Okay, when, when he comes back and then books are opened and the judgment <clears throat> takes place, okay, <clears throat> the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty, And against everyone who was lifted up that he may be abased. And it will be against all the cedars of Lebanon that are lofty and lined up. And it goes through a whole list there uh, of those standing against the Lord. Then in 17, the pride of man will be humbled. And the loftiness of men will be abased. And then lastly, jumping over. To to verse 22, God gives an exhortation. Stop regarding man whose breath of life is in his nostrils. For why should he be esteemed? Now, obviously, God esteems his creation of mankind very much because he sent his own son to come and die on a cross for us. And we know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made In our mother's womb by God. So he's not saying that he doesn't love us or doesn't esteem mankind, even though we're his little ants that the infinite God of the universe created. Uh, But we were created to praise and worship him. So he's saying we put God first. um, But don't worship and don't too highly esteem mankind. We have to honor and worship the Lord. So this theme is repeated over and over again uh, throughout the book of Isaiah. And, and in uh, the next chapter, it, it specifically singles out the, the, uh, the women of nobility um, that exalted themselves. And it goes through a whole litany of, of things there as well. So again, stop regarding man whose breath of life is in his nostrils. The Lord alone will be exalted. Now, verses humility, well, that's an easy one. You can just jot down um, in your notes Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2, 66, 1 and 2. Oddly, I have that one memorized, but with my having a senior moment, it's not coming to me. Um, It happens when you're 67. Okay, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is, is my footstool. Where then is a place that you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. So those are the two sides of the balance. Pride and arrogance, loftiness of man versus having a humble spirit before the God who created us and the God who loves us enough to send his own son to die for us so uh, that verse raises kind of a, a, an an exhortation it says who trembles at my word so if you think about if we think about our own lives individually would we characterize ourselves as one that has to hear things a number of times before we would move to do it Does God have to beat us over the head? You know, first he's whispering, and then he's he's talking a little louder, a little louder. Then he has to give us a little whack. And finally, we come around and say, oh, okay, God, I'll do it. Um, Now, occasionally that that may happen. We look at, um, you know, think about Nineveh and think about the prophet Jonah. God had to whack him pretty hard to get his attention to go preach to Nineveh. Um, but, and God was willing to work with him, okay? But just as a lifestyle, is that the way we generally are? Does God have to, if he starts with the whisper and has to go louder and louder and louder to get our attention, he wants us to tremble at his word. Okay, another theme that we will see throughout the book of Isaiah that uh, is important for these times that we live in is have faith, having our total, total, total trust in the Lord and not in anything else, not in anything of this earth. Now, as I mentioned, Assyria was the growing superpower during the time that Isaiah was prophesying. And this, the way God spoke to Israel shows us a couple things. One, it shows us how much he loves his people, even though they were disobedient, even though they were stiff-necked and rebellious and hard-headed. He loved them so much that he would try to get through to him any even wild and wacky way that he could communicate to them in a way that, hopefully, that would penetrate and really get their attention. Now, God could have zapped a neon sign because I'm not sure, but in the reading that I've done, I, I haven't heard of neon signs being in Israel at that time. Like, I think that really would have gotten their attention if he'd used a neon sign, but he didn't. That didn't come till years and years later, so we have neon signs. Um, he used an entirely different method it's a method that isn't recorded any other, any other way in the, or time in the Bible. Um, he only, God only resorted to this method one time. So basically, Israel was relying on Egypt and Cush to stand against Assyria. And again, Assyria had just taken over the other ten tribes. So they were right on the border. They were right on the doorstep. Think of having this superpower that close. Back when some of us were young, it was uh, Cuba having missiles and pointing them, and President Kennedy, and you know all the the turmoil and thinking of how do I deal with this, and Nikita Khrushchev, uh, you know the the dictator of the Communist Party in Russia, and they're right on our doorstep. They're right in Cuba, aiming missiles at us. Well, that's that's basically what it was. They had Assyria right on their border that easily took over Israel with no effort. What are we gonna do? Well, let's trust in Egypt. Let's trust in Cush. And so God speaks through Isaiah, don't you dare rely on the arm of flesh. Essentially, God is saying, what do you think I am, chopped liver? So, if you can turn with me for a moment to Isaiah chapter 20. Some of you are already familiar with it, but uh, we haven't gotten that far yet. And some of us might have kind of forgotten this part of Scripture. So, starting in 20, verse 1. In the year that the commander came to Ashdod, when Sargon, the king of of Assyria, sent him, and he fought against Ashdod and captured it. Okay, so again... Right, uh, you know, right near uh, the nation of Judah. So at that time, the Lord spoke through Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, now, fasten your seatbelt here. Go and loosen the sackcloth from your hips and take your shoes off your feet. And he did so going naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, even as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot three years as a sign and token against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, young and old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. So God was telling Judah, these two nations that you're relying on are gonna to be totally conquered and overcome. They are gonna become slaves. They are gonna get carted off to Assyria. And you're putting your trust in them? God is rebuking Judah, trying to get their attention to say, "I'm God alone is the only one that we can trust in. So, talk about obedience. Unswerving obedience, total obedience, wow, Isaiah was just amazing, wasn't he? Do you think he was ever ridiculed during those three years? Do you think he ever had, like, kids throwing stones at him and who knows whatever else during those three years? He was married and he had two kids? Oh no, what's dad up to this time? Oh lord. You imagine those kids having to go to Hebrew school and mom had to go to the market to buy groceries and Lord, really? Give me strength, Lord. But that's those are the that's the extent to which God would try to lovingly communicate to his people in a way that they would remember it so that they would not put their trust in the arm of flesh but only in the lord so that's one theme trust only in god now god repeats that in some more customary ways throughout the book of isaiah um it says, do not fear, 14 times throughout the book of Isaiah. It says, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, okay? In other words, put your total trust in me. Now, incidentally, the fear of the Lord, that is used seven times throughout the book of Isaiah. So if we are fearing the Lord, then it's much easier to put our trust and in him, and not fear uh, our circumstances. So, again, for our times that we're living in now, it's so easy for us to fear, particularly locally, things going on in the city with all the, mur- the murder rate and everything, especially among the youth. Um, but he's telling us, do not fear. And uh, a key verse, just one example of that do not fear uh, this is in the, some of you have heard of the, the Navigator um, topical memory system. It's a scripture memory system that uh, when I was at Penn State as an undergrad many moons ago, um, all of us bought this topical memory system. It was 60 Bible verses, all organized by topics. And then as you read the Bible, you, you also, verses on your own that you memorize that aren't the 60 that they picked, It's easy to have topics for them, so if you're talking with someone or witnessing or building up a a fellow brother or sister in Christ, any topic that you need, you have an arsenal of verses to share with them, Um, and obviously for our own lives as well. So if you can jot down Isaiah 41, verse 10, Isaiah 41, 10 and I encourage all of us to memorize that verse this week. It is a verse that for me personally has brought faith and comfort and encouragement to me many times over my, uh, well, next year I celebrate my 50th anniversary, Um, not wedding anniversary, I didn't say that, honey, Uh, we're only at 34, Um, but my, my 50th anniversary as a Christian Uh, A number of us in the church were saved back in the heydays of 60s and 70s. Um, More of us in in the early 70s when God was really moving by his spirit in this nation. And this verse has just ministered to me numerous times. So it says, do not fear for I am with you. So even in the darkest and the toughest of times, he's saying, I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand, or some translations say with my righteous right hand. So that's just one example of God exhorting us. Do not fear, for I am with you. What a tremendous promise of God. And then God gives us another example in the book of Isaiah. Um, We're not going to turn to it now, but we'll get there in a month or so. But uh, chapters 36 and 37, God gives another clear example of putting our whole trust in him. When Sennacherib, the king of Assyria at that time, uh, he didn't stay In the nation of Israel he crossed the border and came right into Judah and marched right up to Jerusalem with its gates locked tight and built siege works around it so that they would be able to scale up and enter and conquer Jerusalem and so um, Hezekiah was the king at that time and as we know he was a good king with faith in the Lord And uh, he and Isaiah worked together, that God would would speak through Isaiah to Hezekiah, as we know, to encourage his faith. And the outcome of that, as most of us know, okay, how many Assyrian soldiers got killed by the angel of the Lord in an instant? Anybody remember? 185,000 soldiers. God took out in an instant, okay, because it it tells in that passage how arrogant and how they were mocking God and speaking ill of the God of the universe, and God came in and just wiped them all out. And then King Sennacherib went back to his own country and was assassinated. So... Uh, Again, just an example that God gives to us to encourage our faith, that when circumstances look like the worst, they couldn't get worse. The odds were just totally against us. God can come through. That's why he says, do not fear, for I am with you. Now, uh, we're going to finish up Isaiah now with just flipping back to chapter 6 for a few minutes. So we know that when Isaiah was called, he had an amazing revelation of God, just like uh, Ezekiel had an amazing revelation. And as Paul shared with us in Second Corinthians, he had amazing revelation as well. But it says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. He's the only one that can be lofty, not man. He was lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. And in history, the the custom was the larger the train or the the big robe behind the king, the bigger the robe, the bigger the honor and the power of that king. So uh, it says the train of his robe filling the temple. Wow. I don't think it gets any bigger than that. Um seraphim stood above him each having six wings with two he covered his face with two He covered his feet with two. He flew and one called out to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. You know, Dave has read some passages to us in the past with the temple and all, when it was filling with the glory of God, when his manifest presence was there and the priest could never could even stand to minister. And here, even in heaven, it said the temple was filling with smoke, the glory of God. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. Uh, scholars say it's uh, undone, literally coming apart at the seams. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand and he had, that he had taken from the altar with tongs. Even the seraphim couldn't touch it. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Even the great Isaiah was sinful and had to have his sin forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then I said, here am I. Send me. And he said, go and tell this people. And and it goes on, and again, against a disobedient Israel. So God gave a tremendous revelation of himself to Isaiah, a clear, tremendous calling Those of us called by the Lord might not be quite as uh, specifically glorious and accurate as that. But by his Holy Spirit, he calls all of us. He calls us to salvation. And once we have salvation in Jesus Christ, and we are in Christ Jesus and have the Holy Spirit in us and then upon us, then he calls us to specific ministries. And sometimes it's not with a big fanfare. Sometimes we just kind of slide into a certain ministry through the back door. We just start doing it in a smaller scale and then a bigger scale, a bigger scale. And God doesn't always do it with fireworks, but God will call each of us uh, of specific to specific ministries and ways that he wants to use us. And Gretchen's prophecy about just deepening our relationship with Him as we read Isaiah, say, Lord, bring me to a deeper relationship with You as my faith gets uh, fed and grown, greater and greater, as my foundation is is stronger and more stable. That's what God wants for us. And as as Gretchen's prophecy from the Lord said, minute by minute, day by day. Don't say, well, next week I will, or next year. Uh, we can start right now, okay, to just humble our heart before him and walk in his presence at all times. We might not always feel his presence. We know the Christian life is not feelings. If it was, you know, when we first get saved, you've heard it, the roller coaster Christian, the highs are high and the lows are low, but it, it's, a lot of it is based on feeling and emotion. God wants it based on his word. If it's based on his word sometimes we will experience emotions but not always but we can walk by faith in his word the second point from this passage what were these seraphim calling back and forth to each other holy 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 is the Lord of hosts and should we say Unfortunately, that's not just an Old Testament concept. The word holy and the word righteous are used many times in the, in the New Testament. And as we know, Paul, if, we look at, if you stop and think about each of Paul's letters, many of them are aimed at bad doctrine and people living in sin and whatnot. Uh, we just finished reading First and Second Corinthians. There was more than enough sin to go around there. Paul even told them uh, in First Corinthians 5, there was one specific episode where he said four times, remove the person from your midst. They are unrepentant. They are living in sin. They are not remorseful. They do, new, they do not have a repentant heart with sorrow for their sin. They are brazen with their sin. Paul said, "Remove them from your midst," and he even went through a whole laundry list of some examples of various sins um, that, uh, when they are non repentant, Paul said, "Remove them from your midst." Wow, that seems pretty harsh. Well, you think about it. In the Old Testament, they stoned people for certain things. God ordained, God put it in His law to stone the uh, Israelites who just brazenly went against his law in certain aspects. So just removing someone from your midst is, I think, pretty tame compared to getting, you know, Old Testament getting stoned. But when we we look at Jesus, who did Jesus reach out to? He only reached out to perfect people, right? Yeah. Sinners and tax gatherers. Jesus went to those whom society and whom the Pharisees looked at as the worst of the worst. Jesus was there, and he was infamous for that among the Pharisees. But what did did Jesus do? What was Jesus' heart in reaching out to anybody and everybody? For them to have his salvation and to set them free from their sin. What did Jesus tell the woman caught in adultery? He said, neither do I condemn you. However, go your way. From now on, sin no more. In other words, I set you free from this sin. Now be repentant. Turn from, uh, as Peter quoted from Proverbs, the dog going back to its vomit. Don't do that. I've set you free. So walk in that freedom. Go your way and practice sin no more. Now, when we, are, when we have a repentant heart, that doesn't mean thoughts are gonna, aren't going to come into our mind. It doesn't mean we're still going to have temptation. Temptation is not sin. It's when we yield to it and dive into it. So when a Christian has a mindset where they're just going to just keep practicing this sin, no, no remorse, no plan to turn from it, um, I like this sin, so I'm just going to keep doing it for the rest of my life. Yahoo! No, that is is an affront to God. He said to her, I don't condemn you, but go your way and sin no more. In other words, practice this sin no more. Have a repentant heart. Think of what David did. David, a murderer, an adulterer, but he repented, and that moved the heart of God. David was not instantly struck by a bolt of lightning. David was not just thrust aside as the king of israel anymore his repentant heart moved the heart of god even manasseh himself who had isaiah sawn in two late in his life in chronicles it reports he repented and was made king again manasseh god how could you do this how could you put manasseh back as king again he did because manasseh repented when, when we as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ have a repentant heart before God, it doesn't mean we're instantly perfect. We wish it did. That'd be great, wouldn't it? But it's in the, 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 um, <clears throat> the, the fiber of our heart that we would tremble, that would be humble and contrite of spirit and tremble at his word. So as we read Isaiah these couple of months, let that challenge us over and over again. God, am I humble and contrite of spirit before you? Do I, you know, I'm not perfect, God, but do I have a repentant heart? Um, am I allowing you to work in me? Are you, am I allowing you to, to change me as slow as it may be? And, God, I am not going to keep going back and back and back to that sin, just loving it with plans to just keep doing it. No. Lord, I'm going to allow you um, to work in my life and set me free from that. And in the church, as we know in this country, sin in many ways is creeping in to the church of Jesus Christ. But the seraph said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God's standard doesn't change. Man's standard keeps changing. You know, the term moral relativism That keeps changing, but God's standard doesn't change. So what does that mean for us? We have to stay true to his word. We have to be rooted in his word. We have to know his word and obey his word. So as we read Isaiah, let's just soak that in over and over again before the Lord. Father, we thank you for all the different books of the Bible you've given to us. We ask that you will speak to each of us in a special way from the book of Isaiah. Lord, may your Holy Spirit take your truth and just etch it deeper and deeper into our hearts. And Lord, help us to, have, to be humble and contrite of spirit and to tremble at your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.